Welcome to Physiology 2130 Online. This is podcast number two. In this podcast, we're going to be covering the contents on module three. You've learned about the cell, you've learned about transport across the cell, and you've learned a little bit about uh, the charge and the differences of the charge across the cell membrane. So in today's podcast, I'm going to cover a couple of these topics and some of those weekly learning activities. And that first weekly learning activity, I asked for you to look at the different methods of transport and to compare and contrast them in a chart. And I find this is a really great way to help learn and to help you with your studying. So if you can take four different things, like transport mechanisms, and see how they're the same and how they're different, it really will help you to figure out if you really understand what's going on. So let's look at these different methods of transport. Simple diffusion, diffusion, facilitated transport, and active transport. Now, simple diffusion is defined as the movement of molecules from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration. And when you're talking about movement across the cell membrane, it's defined as those molecules that don't need any help. So small hydrophobic molecules can move from an area of high concentration to low concentration directly across across the membrane, and they don't need any help whatsoever. Now, diffusion is defined a little bit differently when we talk about transport, and it's still the movement of molecules from an area of high concentration to low concentration, but these molecules are hydrophilic, so they can't just pass through the cell membrane. So we need some kind of help, and the help that the cell provides are channels or pores. So these are literally holes in the cell membrane that are lined with protein. Facilitated transport uh, it involves a protein carrier, just like active transport. So these are proteins that traverse the cell membrane and a molecule binds on one side of the protein and that protein has to rotate or change shape to get the molecule to move to the other side. When we look at the movement of the molecules, simple diffusion, diffusion, and facilitated transport all move molecules from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration whereas active transport is different in that it moves molecules from an area of low concentration to an area of high concentration. When you look at the type of molecule these things move, simple diffusion is somewhat specific in that it, the molecule must have the property of being hydrophobic and being small. Diffusion requires more specificity in that the molecule that can pass has to be a certain size because their channels and pores have a certain diameter and also must have the right charge. So these pores are generally specific for only positive or negative molecules. Facilitated transport and active transport are more specific than diffusion in that the protein binds a specific molecule. So a molecule like glucose can bind to a protein carrier, but sodium will not be able to bind that same part of that type of transporter. So it's highly specific in the type of molecule it can move, just like with active transport. When we look at the ability in, of these transporters to move the molecules, we're looking at their capacity. In simple diffusion, the m movement of molecules is not limited in that 
Molecules can just move across the membrane. There's no limitations to how many molecules can move, just as long as they're moving from an area of high concentration to low concentration, and that they have the right property, and that they're small and hydrophobic. Whereas diffusion, it's considered somewhat limited in capacity. Sometimes you hear it being described as unlimited. But if you think about an example like water channels, if you have more water channels, more water can move across the cell membrane. So I consider it somewhat limited in its capacity. Facilitated transport and active transport are considered limited in their capacity. And the reason why they're limited is that the way that the molecules move across the membrane is by a protein carrier. And proteins can only bind molecules so fast turn and change shape so fast and let the molecule off on the other side of the membrane. So these are limited in, in their capacity and that has to do with the biochemical properties of these carrier proteins to bind and change shape and unbind the molecule of interest. Then when we look at the energy requirements, simple diffusion, diffusion, and facilitated transport don't need energy. They are fine to move molecules as long as they're moving from high to low concentration. Whereas active transport, because it's moving things from an area of low concentration to an area of high concentration, it needs energy. So nothing comes for free. Something moving from low to high is going to need to use energy in the form of ATP. Now the next topic I want to cover are the different types of solutions in the body. So it's good to know when something is isotonic, hypotonic, or hypertonic. So we know that the osmolarity or osmolality of the cell is 300 milliosmoles. And you learned this in your module. Now if we take that cell and we put it in a solution that's isotonic, I want to know, do you understand what would happen to these cells? So if this has an osmolarity or an osmolality of 300 milliosmoles, and the solution is isotonic, so that means the solution has the same osmolarity as the cell, there would be no net movement of water because the concentration of the solutes are the same in both the cell and the water. So no net movement or water Therefore, the cell will stay the same. Now, if we were to take a cell and place it in a hypotonic solution, here's our cell again, has an osmolarity or an osmolality of 300 milliosmoles. And you place it in a hypotonic solution. So a hypotonic solution is defined as a solution that has an osmolarity that is lower than that of a regular cell. So let's say, for example sake, that it's 150 milliosmoles. So what you have to look at is which compartment has a higher level of solute or a higher concentration. And the solute is the thing that's dissolved in the solution. So we're measuring solutes here, and that the cell has a solute concentration of 300 milliosmoles, and the surrounding solution has a solute concentration of 150. So water is going to move to the area by osmosis of higher solute. So water will move from the solution into the cell. So this will cause the cell to swell. 
And in our last example, if you put a cell in a hypertonic solution, so that's defined as a solution that has a concentration that is higher than a regular cell. And for example sake, let's say 450 milliosmoles, water is going to move by osmosis from an area of um, low solute concentration to an area of high solute concentration. So water will move from the cell to the higher concentrated solution, and it's going to cause the cell to shrink or shrivel. Now I gave you a couple of examples. I wanted you to work through these, and hopefully you have. Let's go through the different problem sets that I gave you. So the first thing you need to look at when you're looking at these problem sets is does the uh, solution, does the thing that's in solution, does it dissociate? So calcium chloride is made up of one molecule of calcium and two molecules of chloride. And these things dissociate in solution because it has an ionic bond. So calcium will separate from the chloride molecules into their individual components. So you multiply through and you get 300 milliosmoles of the calcium ion, 600 milliosmoles of the chloride ions, which gives you an osmolarity of 900 milliosmoles. So if you think back, in comparison to a cell, this is a higher solute concentration. So this is considered a hypertonic solution. And if we place a cell in a hypertonic solution, it'll cause the cell to shrink. Then if you look at glucose, glucose is held together by covalent bonds, if you remember your chemistry. And that means that glucose does not dissociate in water. So 100 millimolars of glucose will stay the same, and you put it in water, it'll become 100 milliosmoles with relation to water. And if you compare that to a cell, which has an osmolarity of 300 milliosmoles, this means that this solution is hypotonic because it is, uh, has a lower concentration than a cell, and a cell will swell in this solution. And here, to be a, a little bit more advanced, we've got a combination solution where you have 200 millimolars of glucose. And remember, glucose does not dissociate, so it'll stay as one molecule. It's 200 milliosmoles. But then we have 100 millimolar of sodium chloride. And sodium and chloride are held together by ionic bonds. So we have one molecule of sodium, one molecule of chloride. Multiply those by 100 millimolar each. You get 100 milliosmoles sodium, 100 milliosmoles of chloride. Add all of those milliosmoles together, you get a concentrated solution of 400 milliosmoles. So this is 
a higher concentration than a regular cell, so it's hypertonic. That means the cell will shrink or shrivel. Last example, we have calcium chloride. Calcium chloride is a salt. It's held together by ionic bonds, so it also will separate into its individual parts. So calcium, there's one molecule of calcium, and the reason I know that is that there's no number there. And there's no number beside the calcium, that means there's just one of them. And I know from my chemistry background that calcium has a positive 2 charge, but that does not affect this calculation. Chloride, we have two molecules of chloride. Oops, sorry there. Multiplying through 100 millimolar of calcium. And we have two chloride ions that separate into 100 millimolar each. Add these together. And we get 100 milliosmoles of calcium, 200 milliosmoles of chloride. That's equivalent to 300 milliosmoles if you add it together. Wow, crazy writing today. 300 milliosmoles. So this solution is the same concentration as a cell, so it's considered isotonic. It's an isotonic solution. And that means the cell will stay the same. Okay, so the very last thing I want to talk about is that resting membrane potential. And what we have to understand with the resting membrane potential is that the membrane is selectively permeable to different things. And we know from our previous module that the concentrations of different ions are going to vary. So we know that sodium is really high outside the cell. Okay, this is normal. Sodium is high on the outside and is low on the inside. So sodium will want to move into the cell if it is permitted. But remember, sodium is charged and it's hydrophilic. So that sodium can only pass through the membrane if we have a channel. And we do have a channel that allows sodium to pass through. So sodium will move into the cell but that channel is only somewhat permeable to sodium. So what that means is not very much sodium can pass through. Okay, so only a little bit of sodium can move in. And the reason being is that channel for sodium in our cell membrane is just not very permeable to sodium. It doesn't allow too much sodium to pass through, even though there's a large concentration gradient. Potassium is very high inside the cell, and that's at normal levels, and much lower outside the cell. So potassium also wants to move outside, but potassium also is hydrophilic and it's a small molecule, so the only way it can pass through is if we have these channels for potassium. Now, the difference with this channel is that it's very permeable to potassium. So that means lots of potassium can go down its concentration from the inside of the cell to the outside of the cell. Now, let's look at the charge happening here. A little bit of sodium can come in. So some positive charges start to build up inside the cell. But lots of positives from the potassium can go out of the cell. So there's more positives on the outside, 
when you're thinking about it and with respect to the inside of the cell, that means the inside of the cell is becoming much more negative because lots of those positive potassiums are leaving. Now the other ion that contributes to this resting membrane potential is chloride. And remember salty banana. Chloride is much higher outside the cell than it is inside. So chloride will want to move into the cell but can only move through a channel and cells have channels where chloride can pass through by diffusion. And this channel is also very permeable. So a lot of chloride can go through area of high concentration to low concentration. And again, we get this buildup of negative charge. So what happens is that the inside of the cell is becoming much more negative than the outside. And Resting membrane potential is that charge that's accumulated. In most cells, it's negative 70 millivolts. Okay, remember that because that's going to be really important for module four. Have a great week.